Welcome to the Indisposable Podcast, produced by Upstream. I'm your host, Brooking Gatewood. And I'm your co-host, Matt Prindeville. Thanks for joining for another episode celebrating solutions to plastic pollution. Welcome back to the Indisposable Podcast. Today, we're going to talk a bit about what equity and policy creation looks like and learn about a tool for equitable organizing created through decades of learning by the amazing team at BISC, the Ballot Initiative Strategy Center. In this episode, we get to be flies on the wall in a presentation given in early 2001 to the National Reuse Network which is a home for learning and connection and movement building amongst the U.S.-based activists and innovators working to create a world without toxic single-use food and beverage packaging. The network, which is hosted by Upstream, and you can learn more about it on our website, supports leaders working across the U.S. with model policies and tracking local policy and reuse system efforts, sharing case studies and other resources, and connecting activists and organizers with business leaders working to build a reuse economy. Every month, we spotlight members and guests to share lessons from the field, as we are all learning together about what helps build effective reuse policies and practices in the U.S. One of the themes we've been exploring is how to embed an equity lens into policy organizing. The environmental movement has a history of creating bills and lobbying for planet-friendly practices without engaging the people in local communities that would be impacted by these policies. Legislative wins are often defined by outcomes without regard for process in a way that can be deeply destructive over time, erode trust, and um, actually harm the communities that we want to be supporting and collaborating with. So how we work matters a lot when it comes to building long-term power and not just short-term wins. And this is a very different approach than a lot of classical political organizing training. And so that's why we thought the message that we hear today and the story from Dana Laurent at BISC is such an important one for anyone looking to do political and social change work, and we wanted to share it with our podcast audience. So this episode is a spotlight session from the National Reuse Network, where Dana Laurent, who's the Senior Strategic Advisor at BISC, tells us about how BISC has turned its decades of trial and error learning on this subject into this Declaration of Cooperation Toolkit that um, you can find in our episode notes and then we talk about a bit toward the end of this conversation. And this toolkit offers some facilitator suggestions and processes for how to go about bringing a deeper equity lens into how we do policy organizing. Now, Dana was the executive director of Win-Win in Washington State before she joined BISC. She was also a political director at Planned Parenthood Votes Northwest. She's been a political consultant. She's got dozen-plus years of experience building and leading coalitions, managing campaigns and programs and organizations at the state and national level. And she's played a key role in some of Washington's largest and most successful ballot measure campaigns and has learned along the way the power of direct democracy up close not just in the ability to change policy, but in the ability to build long-term power, infrastructure, and organizing capacity. Dana has also been central in BISC's learning journey, founding and evolving the organization's long-term work to harness ballot measures as a vehicle for progressive and equitable policy change and power building through uh, their roadmap alignment work. So She's been thinking and working on this particular topic for a very long time, so we're really grateful that she took the time to speak with us and to share about BISC's story, which may be familiar to many of you who've done policy work. And we'll hear more about the Declaration of Cooperation toward the end of her talk. Again, you can find a link to that document in the show notes, and we hope you enjoy hearing from Dana. 
Thank you so much, Brooking. Um, hello, everyone. It's really nice to be um, with you here today. And um, Brooking Learning Journey is a really <laughs> um, apt description of what um, you know BISC has been on as an organization, uh, and um, and certainly our our partners that we work with, the coalitions that we convene, et cetera. And that is in large part kind of where this tool that I'm gonna to try to um, introduce you all to um, came from. But I wanted to start with a little context about BISC um, and what we do. And uh, then just sort of talk about just very briefly how our evolution in the way that we work as an organization has actually, um, as I said, it's directly connected to the fact that when one does change and evolve, whether you're an organization or a person, you often need new tools <laughs> and resources in order to do that. Um, and then we'll talk about the tool um, itself. And I, I'm hopeful to get through sort of the orientation part of this conversation uh, as quickly as possible so that um, we can have a conversation and uh, answer any questions that you might have, at least to the best of my ability. But um, start a little bit about BISC. Um, so as an organization, BISC or the Ballot Initiative Strategy Center uh, has been around for actually over 20 years going into our second decade here. And we are the only national infrastructure organization that's focused on ballot measures as a tool and a strategy. So we work with partners all around the country, whether state partners, national partners, um, who work within our progressive social justice ecosystem. So folks from the labor community, reproductive uh, rights and justice, the environmental community, economic and social justice uh, leaders and organizations, um, as well as strategic funding partners uh, in philanthropy that fund ballot measures and the work around it. And we work to leverage ballot measures across the country as part of a larger movement to strengthen our democracy and move toward racial equity um, and really transform power that is rooted in the states. And um, there's a number of different ways that we go about that. Um, one is building capacity. Um, so building the capacity of those that work on, with, and around um, ballot measure campaigns to incubate, plan, develop policy, and execute um, equitable and effective ballot measure campaigns and work within the coalitions uh, that run those campaigns. We build that capacity through structured training uh, and curricula that we develop, one-on-one -on -one strategic assistance, and by bringing folks together in what we call cohorts or learning communities um, to learn from uh, the experts at BISC in our team, um, from other experts around the ecosystem, and um, probably most importantly, from each other. It's amazing what we can all learn from each other across states and across issues. We also convene folks around long-term power building strategies um, on, on ballot measures. And that long-term strategic work is where the Declaration of Cooperation that we're gonna talk about today um, came from. So a little bit more about that in a minute. We also track trends in the ballot measure landscape 
across the country and work with folks on the ground um, in their own states to actually protect direct democracy, the actual integrity of uh, what we call the people's tool around the country from, from attacks. So our evolution as an organization, um, I often say that organizations are, are like people. Um, and I mentioned this at the beginning, but obviously as people, it's our goal to evolve and change and grow and become the best people we can be. Organizations uh, need to do that as well. And BISC has uh, seen over our 20 year plus history and evolution in and of itself. We've always been an organization that focused on training and tracking the ballot measure landscape and the tactical things that I mentioned um, before, but at a certain point, we really evolved from a sort of strictly kind of political organization, if you will, rooted in tactics to a movement-based um, organization with a deep understanding that it's not just about what you do, but it's about how you do it who you're centering and what is what your end goal is, what your end purpose is. And because of that evolution, because it's so important, not just what we do, but how we do the work and how we do it together. Along the way, we have had to develop new tools and resources to support ourselves um, in working with partners and certainly to support the, the field in making those transformational changes. So from our perspective, ballot measures are an important tool that need to be used as a holistic power building strategy in the state. So you should start with what you want your end goal in the state to be 10, 15 years down the line, and then figure out the right mechanisms in order to create that change, whether it's civic engagement, electoral, or ballot measure strategy. And they should all be working in concert <laughs> with each other toward that ultimate goal. And um, Brooking talked about um, the expanded definition of winning. And I think that was the title up on the screen. And we actually believe that 50% plus one, like winning a policy on the ballot, yes, we wanna win the policy. Uh, but if we're not using every single aspect of the ballot measure process, of our organizing, of how we work, not just externally, but internally to build power along the way. Those wins are not durable, they don't last, and they don't achieve the most equitable outcomes. And ultimately, as we evolved, we knew we needed to be very explicit about the fact that equity and justice for those uh, most marginalized and historically disenfranchised in our country, creating the conditions for that equity and justice to occur is our end goal. And if that is our end goal, then everything that we do in the way that we do our work um, has to support that. And so if you think about obviously the systems and structures that were put in place, like whether we're talking about systems and structures around our democracy, our economy, our so-called justice system, uh, systems and structures around uh, environmental policy or any other kind of policy, I think that we can probably all agree um, that those systems and structures were not built for or by the people who've been most marginalized. And if that's the case, then why are our internal mechanisms for how we're trying to achieve change any different? 
right? So I'm talking here about the way that we work with each other, the way that we move policy, the way that we run our campaigns. They ha- the way that we do those things has been largely developed by dominant culture, white-led organizations and organizers. And the structures within our campaigns and coalitions are inherently meant to keep white supremacy in place. And when we became very clear-eyed and explicit about what our goal was, that meant that not only did we need to think about that with regard to our external work, but also how we, how we run our campaigns, how we run our coalitions, and every aspect and decision point along the way. And so um, it's, it's a long story about how we got to the Declaration of Cooperation, but it started with um, a coalition that we began convening um, a, about seven years ago, um, which we call Victory 2030 um, and the Alignment Coalition. And this coalition was on the same evolutionary journey from the focus on the what to the focus on the how um, in the same way that BISC was. And part of that evolutionary journey was in 2018, we started to see a ton of tension points happening in campaigns and coalitions. We started to see themes around the challenges that folks were running into. And we did an extensive analysis of 26 different proactive ballot measure campaigns, um, all different issue areas, in order to surface those tension points. And what we found was that thematically, the tension points could be basically boiled down to the alignment between folks who are um, funding the ballot measures and the coalitions and the work that was happening and the grassroots state leaders, largely those directly impacted by the policies that um, we're seeking to change that were actually leading the ballot measure efforts. Why? Race, power and privilege dynamics. (laughs) And we saw similar challenges and power dynamics with vendors and consultants working with grassroots advocates and ultimately within even the measurements and metrics that folks were using. And as we started digging into those challenges and how to resolve them, it became clear that even if folks were having conversations in their coalitions and campaigns up front, which we certainly encourage folks to do about shared principles and shared values, that there was a disconnect between what that actually meant in practice and how it played out in specific decisions, whether we're talking about research, whether we're talking about budget, whether we're talking about uh, policy development, specific decisions and practices that the campaign or the coalition was making. And so it was this journey and this realization within the coalition where it was like, wait a second, it's not like we can get into a surface level conversation, probably all of us about these particular set of values. And we can say that we wanna center those most impacted by the policy that we're seeking to change, but how do we actually operationalize that? People may, in fact, when you get into those conversations and certainly this was and still is the case, when you get into those conversations, they can 
disagree on fundamental strategies, they, fundamental practices of how you actually do then center those most impacted, right? What does that actually mean in terms of how you're running your campaign? And so the Declaration of Cooperation is the toolkit we've created is essentially a guide for coalitions and ballot measure campaigns on how to use not just the principles of equity and inclusion to win durable victories, but digs into what those practices actually are, and then basically leads campaigns and coalitions through a process to have a series of conversations about the commitments to those equitable practices that they want to make to each other, right? Um, Within the Declaration of Cooperation, you can also see the different principles that are outlined that folks can agree to um, and customize and, and the practices themselves under each of these sort of 12 segments of a campaign. For those of you who aren't following along with the actual toolkit right now, the 12 opportunities for cooperation that Dana just mentioned are different parts of the campaign development process. And that includes the conception and planning stage, coalition building, communications, campaign governance, campaign staff, consultants and vendor hiring and management, data, fundraising, research and polling, budget, organizing, and post-election day. And then... In the different areas that I mentioned before, the 12 areas, this toolkit has specific principles for how equity plays out in those areas. For example, under the area of budget, it says that campaign resources are prioritized for local capacity and infrastructure over out-of-state vendors, which is not usually how it works in practice. So having these sorts of checklists and guides to remind yourself, ah, there's a reason that we want to really make an extra effort to support local businesses and not hire out of state. And that reason is connected to our values makes a big difference. Um, there's actually, um, actually a way to kind of measure your progress. So we call that the indicators and metrics evaluative tool. It's embedded within this facilitator's guide and a toolkit. And that's a tool uh, by which campaigns and coalitions can actually um, in real time answer some questions about basically how are you doing in terms of keeping up with the agreements and commitments that you have made to one another around um, your shared principles and practices. And then last but not least, there's a whole segment of the toolkit, which it links to a bunch of BISC training materials and campaign resources, and then actual examples that are a little bit of a like, well, they're both a racial equity choice point, but I know one coalition member put it as a choose your own ballot measure adventure. <laughs> like here's your, here's your, here's the decision that you can make about, for instance, um, what the focus of your research is, what kind of language you wanna use in drafting your research. I'm giving a specific example. And here's a way that one campaign did it where equity and inclusion and how they drafted the survey and who was involved in that really didn't occur, right? And here's another example where it did, you know, here are two paths you can take so that you can have a full understanding of the impacts of some of the decisions um, that your campaign or coalition might be making. So those are the components. 
Okay, I'm going to jump in here and offer just a little bit of context on what Dana is saying. Again, I know you guys are not all looking at the toolkit, but one of the key ideas here is that this toolkit offers a step-by-step -step process to designing a policy campaign in a way that includes equity considerations. And part of why that's so important is that often what you hear from groups, even with the best intent on including equity and inclusion values in the way that they work is that in practice, what often happens is doing the outreach to engage people in the process who are not on staff already or to design your hiring processes in a way that makes sure that it's actually inclusive of the groups you're trying to represent and not just based on current networks, which is something we've talked about before on the show. Those sorts of things are the places where the equity approach falls apart in practice. And so having a process guide that actually gives you checklists and reminds you of all the different points in the way where it really matters to embed these principles in your everyday practice. Um, one of the slides here on organizing your process, for example, talks about ground rules for the process, decision-making, getting super clear on who does what, roles, definitions, sharing your visions, and then it goes deeper into decision-making because this is such a key area where we can um, fall off the wagon, so to speak, in terms of old power dynamics coming in and people whose voices are often marginalized getting marginalized yet again. Um, I think slide five, um, which outlines kind of the overarching process, is super helpful. Um, the first step, obviously, is to organize your process, then work with your campaign coalition to define what you want the declaration of cooperation to look like for you. What are the principles and practices that you all want to agree to? And then there's uh, step three is really going through the process of writing it down. And step four is like how basically coming up with your campaign and coalitions process for how you are going to um, hold each other accountable. Accountability, it's one of the reasons why we created this tool is a lot of people can, again, agree to those surface level, if you will, shared values and, and, and principles, but it becomes really hard to hold people accountable when specifics are not involved. So um, the accountability portion um, is, is really important. And then slide eight goes into a little bit more detail about how you actually define your declaration of cooperation, which starts with a conversation around who needs to be a part of this process. And then last but not least, I think that this is, you know, particularly if, if you're just looking for some, some support, these campaign resources and resources around group decision-making and meeting facilitation um, can be just like a really quick way for you to get some support in what you're doing right now, you know, to have some of these conversations, even if you're not going through the whole process um, of the Declaration of Cooperations. So this next comment is from Eva Holman, who is one of Upstream's policy organizers. She's also a board member for the San Francisco League of Conservation Voters, and she is a co-founder of a reusable jar company called Goods Holding. And so Eva works with a lot of the different local policy and organizing efforts in the Bay Area. And in this comment, she tells us how she uses this toolkit all the time in her own work to check her thinking. Yeah, I... 
for me, it really, it's always open on my desktop and it's something where I can, I can reference and I am really, really page four is always open because, uh, and that's the 12, op 12 opportunities for cooperation. And, and I know many of us are in similar places where we're working on policies and looking for ways to uh, make sure that all community members are participating in moving forward with a policy in a way that's equitable, that's considerate, is possible. Um, and sometimes I can't think of a way to engage, like, ah, I'm completely at a loss for how to get more community members to, you know, jump in and either support or challenge and um, participate. But when you look at this, there's so many other opportunities for engagement, and it really opens up the scope of, um, you don't only, or not just looking for people who are directly working on policy implementation. You can work, look in the com communications, fundraising, research, and in that way, you can really start to change the scope of your view. Like, oh, there are people working on this in campaign areas, in research, in organizing that aren't even in my natural scope of policy work. So it just gives me a, a much broader scope, uh, different lens to look out and see not just who, who can help or who can get involved, but who's already working on this in a different way that I haven't been thinking about. So that's how it changes the scope for me. It gives me an opportunity to change my perspective pretty regularly. Well, Dana, is there any closing reflections you want to offer to this group that's in all sorts of phases in the process and <laughs> different yeah. coalitions? Um, I mean, I think one of the things that I would emphasize, and I think this, you know, came up in the conversation that we had is it's, it's actually never too late to start. Like sometimes we think, um, which is a sort of a dominant culture idea anyway, because things have to be done perfectly, right, from beginning to end. And that's not actually true. <laughs> so um, this toolkit, part of the beauty of it is, um, yes, we should be going through, you know, the process from beginning to end and making sure that we are clear and intentional in our agreements and in our practices. And if your train has already left the station and you're like, you know, oops, we didn't do a great job of coalition building at the beginning. Um, you know, you can still dive in at whatever point you are in the process and, and try. Don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good. And, um, you know, it's never going to be perfect, but it is something we should always be striving for, um, you know, and that is centering those that are closest to the pain or closest to the solution. So that's what I would, I would leave you with. Don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good is such a great note to close on whenever we're talking about trying to change our behavior, whether it's regarding equity and inclusion policies and practices, or whether we're talking about shifting to reuse in our own lives and doing what we can and starting where we can. So thanks again to Dana and to BISC for sharing their wisdom and resources with us. Again, you can find the Declaration of Cooperation in the episode notes. I wish I could take you all as a fly on the wall 
wall into so many more conversations we've had in the National Reuse Network. That very same day, we really rolled up our sleeves and talked about some of the real practical challenges of making these kinds of changes and how we organize that um, some of the leaders in the Los Angeles-based efforts were sharing. Um, But the National Reuse Network conversations are meant to be somewhat closed-doored most of the time so that people can feel safe to honestly express. And that said, if you are an advocate or a business leader in the reuse space and you're interested in building community and being part of these conversations, we absolutely welcome you to join our live monthly calls. You can do that through Upstream's website and we'll put the link in the show notes. Thank you all for listening, for learning, and for caring about creating a world without reuse. And that's our show. If you like what you're hearing, help spread the word. Subscribe to the Indisposable Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Add a review, talk us up. Nobody spreads a message like you. The Indisposable Podcast is brought to you by Upstream, sparking innovative solutions to plastic pollution, envisioning a world without it, and empowering businesses, communities, and individuals to imagine and co-create this future with us. You can find resources mentioned on today's episode as well as learn more about Upstream's work at www.upstreamsolutions.org. Follow us on social and join the movement. There's a better way than throwaway.